Welcome to our Come Follow Me podcast. I'm here with my friend Michelle Jones. I'm Laura Barton, and we'll be discussing our curriculum for this week, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 1 through 7. Paul has written another epistle to the people of Corinth, and it seems that Paul may have offended a couple people and that they are struggling with maybe forgiving some of the saints. And so he addresses those things in this reading. And some of the things, themes that I got out of this reading are that we can grow closer to Christ and each other through trials, that forgiveness is a godly attribute, and being reconciled to God is important. So are those some of the things you were thinking about this week? Or Yes, and especially I thought it was interesting how... Like, I, d- I don't know that I wanted to start on forgiveness, but it's the one that's jumping into my mind. I feel like that one, I was surprised that it came up for me more than once throughout the reading, not just in the obvious places. So, like, the first time that forgiveness comes up is in the second chapter in Second Corinthians. Um, let me turn there. Um, where he talks to us about how for our sakes we need to forgive and that in, in being obedient. And I was thinking about how, how even though we know that it's something that we need to obey, that there is a tension and a struggle there um, for what we need to do. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that or if you want for me to just share some of the things that some of the insights that I jotted down I've been thinking about forgiveness a lot lately and what does it mean and why do I struggle against it like I agree with it intellectually I understand what forgiveness is that we need to do that and I so some of the thoughts that I wrote down is that forgiveness like what does it ask of us and it it asks us to accept validation restitution and healing from the savior and to transfer the justice into the lord's hands So we're recognizing that the Savior is perfectly able and willing to do this for us, and we're no longer demanding that those things come from, or somehow expecting that another human has the ability to be all of these things or do all of these things for us, that we're accepting that that's the Savior's role for us, and that that's enough, that what the Savior can provide for us is enough. We don't also have to demand it of the people around us. So forgiveness is a big topic for this week, but it's a comprehensive topic in general. And with different experiences and different offenses, forgiveness can look different. I think for me, when I need to simplify something that's such a comprehensive uh, principle, I always look at it in the plan of salvation or look to the example of the Savior and as I've thought about the Savior in the New Testament, we've got to look at, we were able to look at his life this year as we studied Come Follow Me. I think about Christ's ability to forgive and what a godly ability he has to forgive. If we think about Christ's um, ability to forgive, he atoned for the sins of the world. He has felt every offense He has felt every persecution from the offender, so he's been on both sides. He understands the hurt that goes on with it, and yet he took that all upon him, and then he turns around, and he not only forgives those people, but he is their mediator. He is their advocate. Mm -hmm. So when we look at our offenses, 
wow, that's a drop in the bucket, right? And so we can learn all about forgiveness from the Savior. And he's a constant, he's a huge example of the principle of forgiveness. But when we think about forgiving, you could be talking about, okay, somebody offended me at a church meeting, and I don't even really know them. And that's one, that's one thing you need to like think about for forgiveness. But then you can also think about, you know, I was misused or abused by someone in my life. That's a whole nother kind of level of forgiveness. And yet Christ can help us with all of these things. So say we took just a basic example. Um, For instance, in this scripture, we have the example of this man that apparently offended, did something that caused offense to the church. And the direction that's given from Paul says, you need to forgive him and comfort him so he may not be overwhelmed by excessive pain. This is chapter two, the same things that you were reading. Mm -hmm. So I urge you to reaffirm your love for him and then skipping down to verse 11 so that we would not be exploited by Satan. So first, forgiving people. Forgiving people provides comfort. It allows us to be what the Savior would be for other people. Okay, you talk about why it's so hard. There's lots of reasons. Maybe you're on a power, maybe you like the power, but I think it all kind of boils down to being vulnerable. Anytime we want to give comfort to other people, anytime we want to connect with people, anytime the God wants us to be an instrument to him, there's a connection there. And sometimes we don't want to be vulnerable and be that connection. And so I think if we looked at other principles, they would kind of boil down to that. Whether you're on the flip side of, I'm on a power trip, or you're really hurt, kind of goes back to being vulnerable and connected to people. And so... And so do you feel like part of that is, like, like as you're speaking, I'm picturing, like, a hardness and a softness. And to me, like, vulnerability and the softness of heart are similar. They have a lot of overlap and so as I'm thinking about that I think sometimes we harden our hearts because we don't want to recognize our own sin but sometimes we harden our hearts because we're protecting ourselves and we don't want to risk getting hurt again and it's a way of like it like it has a functional beginning to it it's not always pride sometimes it's fear that we don't want to risk being put in a situation where we get hurt again and so being vulnerable not only you know it can be a little tricky but I feel like being vulnerable is similar to saying I'm going to soften my heart and trust that the savior is going to walk with me through this and even if I get hurt again he's going to be there okay so yes exactly I think you bring up a very important point and that's where I think misconceptions about what forgiveness is truly um, come into play here because forgiveness is not about saying that what the person did to you is okay. It's not about saying, um, I need to have a relationship with this person. It's not about a lot of things. It is about being reconciled to God. It's not about being reconciled to the person, but it is about being reconciled to God. Hmm. So God is asking us to comfort him if we're reconciled to God. The other thing it tells us is, so that we may not be exploited by Satan. I will tell you the first thing that happens when we get pride in our heart, when we want to be separated from those people, when we have anger or resistance or um, harboring bad feelings, that gives Satan the go. 
right? So, so let's take a really easy example. Say you are in a meeting and somebody completely snubs you. That's actually, in some ways, very easy to forgive that person. In some ways, it's actually hard. So it's easy because say you're in a meeting and somebody snubs you and you're like, what a jerk. I don't even know this person, but I can tell. They right. are a jerk. And a month later, you're in that meeting again and you're like, oh, I'm in the meeting with a jerk. So if the Lord says, I want you to contribute to this meeting, but you can't feel the spirit because you haven't forgiven that person, how are you being an instrument for God? You haven't reconciled yourself to God. Honestly, that person could care less probably how you feel about them because you don't even have a relationship with them. So who are you really hurting? You're not hurting that person. Withholding your relationship from that person is not anything that's probably on their radar. So you've done nothing with not forgiving that person except hurt yourself, allow Satan to use you, and not be an instrument for God. So in that situation, not reconciling yourself to God by saying you could have made the choice oh, I don't know that person. You know what? I bet they had a hard day. I bet the fact that they didn't even acknowledge me is probably because they're distracted. They're having a hard time. They're, they may be being insensitive, but aren't we all? And didn't he have a good day? Wow, my heart is now free to be an instrument for God. As opposed to going, well, that person is a jerk. And then the next meeting, that person's a jerk. And then you're not effective in the meeting ever because you're just harboring this thing. And so in a way, because you don't have that relationship with that person, it's really easy to say, oh, I probably don't know them. They're probably having a hard day. It's also really hard because you don't have a relationship with that person. And really you let a month go by and you're like, oh yeah, that person's a jerk. I don't have any reason to try to, to think have a better think otherwise. And then every month you're just not an instrument for God. So I don't think forgiveness is about reconciling to a person so much as making sure that our heart is open to being an instrument for God. So when it comes to really simple, because there really is a, a separation, I think, in how we address simple offenses versus more complex things. So for a simple offense, like getting snubbed in a meeting, for example, part of the journey to overcoming that into reconciling to God, it sounds like part of that is the story that we're telling ourselves in our head about that person. Because really, we can't know other people's intentions. 99.9% .9 of the time, we don't know everything that went into that moment and what's going on. And so are we choosing the most offensive story about what happened, or are we choosing the one that allows us to give grace and to feel compassion? Right. And then... I guarantee that if we're turning towards the Savior, we're willing to be vulnerable, we're willing to be a servant for God, that he's going to give us that ability to have compassion for other people and see them that way. It's a choice that we can make in the moment, though, and say, it kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about last week, right? If in the moment we feel that reaction, do we stop and take accountability for it? Do we stop and say, okay, why am I having this reaction? Heavenly Father, what do I need to understand? And then clearing that and saying, okay, um, I'll, that, that is something I can let go. But often we can, you know, we're having a hard day and we just don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to have to do that and we don't. And then we can harbor that ill feeling, which Satan loves. So do you think that it like compounds? Because I would imagine if over time we have all these different experiences where we have taken the most offensive interpretation of what has happened, 
compounding, compounding, compounding. In some ways, a simple interaction with someone can trigger us back to all of those things that we have not forgiven. Yeah, it's called justification of choices. Once you kind of commit to something, it's kind of human nature to then justify it. So yes, and Satan will use that to just really... um, persecute people like this example here he's like you guys need to to be loving towards that person because you know in much more complicated situations say you're talking about a spouse one of the one of those ways that you can really punish them is just withholding that love right and not being vulnerable and withholding um, and they, and again, with other people, you may not ever be on their radar. The only person you're hurting by not forgiving is yourself. But in a really close relationship, that other person can feel that. Right. And, and you are adding to their suffering. And, and I just love the way that he wrote this. Comfort them so that they may not be overwhelmed by excessive pain. And reaffirm your love for him. And, and that's a choice. We may say, you know, I understand their behavior and I can forgive them, but are you loving them? Are you being vulnerable? Are you opening yourself to really forgiving them? It's questions you have to ask in our more intimate relationships. Now you did say though, that sometimes it's being self-preserving, right? You're being safe. And that's where I just reinforced that this is about a reconciliation to God and not to that person. Because we still think that we have some influence, some ability to punish and change people's behaviors by how we treat them, whether we forgive them or not, when it's just not our job, it's Heavenly Father's, Hmm. because he is the righteous judge. Okay, so I'm not completely taking us away from this topic, but when you were talking about how one of the things that the Lord is instructing them to do in partnership with forgiveness is comfort, it brought me back to the very beginning of our reading in chapter one. Um, talking about how God is the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, and that the Lord is not just asking us to do these challenging things and be vulnerable without the the right support to go along with it. Like in verse 5, he talks about, um, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. That to me, and you're talking about chapter one, verse five. Correct. And so, as I'm looking at that, and I am a, I am big on synonyms when I'm reading my scriptures because I feel like it really helps me to like get even more like nuance out of it sometimes. And so, I looked up the word consolation. It's not a word that I use all the time. Like I'm well read, so I understand what it means. But I looked it up, and so here were some of the other words that came to me for it, which were relief, support reassure, soothe, and comfort. And so when I think about that, if in those moments when we have been offended or when we're struggling or when there is some kind of suffering that's been had at the hand of somebody else or just because of life, when we turn to the Lord, he has promised us here that just as we have suffering, we can have this comfort, this support, this relief, and as we turn to him and get that for ourselves, then we have the resiliency to be able to live with a soft heart. Yes, and I love this whole section that you're referring to because it, it gives complete meaning to our trials and these offenses 
because it tells us that if you can turn to Christ in these things, you can be more like Christ and you can offer the comfort that Christ offers. So there's real meaning to these trials and tribulations. Um, I thought that that was what was really interesting about this section is that the trials actually teach us to comfort. I know personally, if this life were about just consequences to my actions, I would be super, I'd be living large. I think I make pretty good choices in life, right? Okay. Right? If, if it were just about consequences, then I'd be a pretty, you know, I'd be living a good life. I don't do drugs and I work hard and so I should just have great consequences all the time. I've noticed that's not what life's about at all. Right. Life is about trials and it's about becoming more like Christ through those trials. And so this is a great example of how trials teach us to be more Christ-like. Um, I think about, I, I was thinking, I thought a lot about the ministry of Christ and his life as we read this about going through trials and being vulnerable and um, being able to forgive. And I thought about his example in the New Testament. He went, I, I thought about as he healed the blind man, um, that through those trials, you become closer to Christ. And I remember thinking when I read about the blind man being healed, would he have given up the experiences he had, those trials, that tribulation, um, if it meant he couldn't have felt the healing power of Christ, if it meant he couldn't have that relationship and that experience and that ability to be that close to Christ, that Christ actually healed him from blindness. I'm sure being blind for several decades is hard, a hard, hard life. And yet, because Christ healed him, he knew Christ. He knew Christ had great power and great love for him. And he turned around and he told people, Christ heals, and I felt it. And there's a lot of power in all of that in your life. Um, and I thought it also increases our empathy and our ability to forgive when we can see our trials and our hurt that other people cause as a way to be closer to the Savior and not... So now my thoughts are, are to how Christ ministered... I think when I read the New Testament, I always look at these people, the downtrodden, the, the people that Christ is healing. We've got characters that Christ is healing these people. And then we've got Christ who's teaching and ministering. And then we've got like the villains that are the Sadducees and Pharisees. And so I'll be reading along and I'll be like, oh, those Sadducees and Pharisees. And this time I thought more about Christ and his love for everyone. And I realized as I was reading the New Testament that he doesn't just love the blind man he healed. He loves the Sadducees and Pharisees. He rebukes them from time to time, but he, um, when I thought about why he speaks in parables, I knew part of it was he was trying to preserve his, his safety because they could have said, oh, you said that, let's throw you in jail, right? So he's starting to talk in code to, to keep the Sadducees and Pharisees from arresting him and all this stuff. But then I thought, I think he's also teaching so that those that cannot hear can hear. That he's teaching these 
concrete principles so that even the Sadducees and Pharisees might get something from his ministry. And and isn't it possible that that healing comes in different ways for different people? Like for the blind man, that's a really obvious ailment. And so the healing is something that is, it's very easy to see what that what that would look like, what the end result looks like. And I have to believe if we know that the Savior loves everybody, including those Sadducees and Pharisees, that part of his um, offering of healing to them comes from him pushing back against their hard-heartedness to help them to feel that and to have the opportunity to recognize where they are coming up short or where they are taking their by the law devotion or their love of power and they're neglecting these other things that in some ways his rebuke of them is offering healing to them in the same way that healing the blind man was offering healing to them to that man yeah and i think it comes full circle when you when you think about how as he's preaching to them he may he may be reaching them on some level but the person that he healed had this beautiful experience with the savior and those sadducees and pharisees with all their privilege and authority by the eyes of the world don't feel that and so as i think about that and i think about how um as we look at forgiveness, those people that have hurt you, if you can turn to the Savior at that time and you can be reconciled to God, you have that relationship with them. Those people that have done huge offenses to people and they're, they haven't asked for forgiveness from the person they offended, believe me, that person is not reconciled to God. That person can't have that same relationship. And so when we think about, oh, there's something I got to punish that person for. That person's already living in punishment. That person already doesn't have that beautiful connection that we can have with Christ when we have open hearts and forgiving hearts. And so I think I had more compassion for these people, these people that persecute others, because I recognize that they may go around the world bullying people, but they're already suffering because they don't have that relationship with the Savior. So even these... Um, yeah, so, so the Savior knows that too. He, he knows that he's connecting with the vulnerable people. He knows he's connecting with the meek of heart. He knows that he's connecting with the people that are the one down position, the submissive people. It's the people that have that pride and are offending people that he, he's really hurting for. So he has that ability to empathize with those people in a way that I had to learn as I was reading the New Testament more. And I think that as we can see that perspective, we recognize it's not our job to judge people. It's not our job to punish people. And it's not our job to make them give us forgiveness. It's just our God, job to be reconciled to God so that when we're in their presence, that we can still be an instrument for him. Hmm. I, I really like that. One of the thoughts that has come to me as you were talking is, and I do recognize the difference because one of the things as I was listening, so I have two thoughts. The first one is as I was listening to you talk about the difference between those who are reconciled to God and those who are not and 
the parallel between those who were humble and willing to be healed and to be taught by the Savior and those who, despite his presence and his teachings, maintained their hardness of heart that... um, I don't know, I lost my train of thought, but maybe that that correlation there is an important parallel for us to check ourselves and see where am I at. The other thought that I had was how hope is such a really big part of this equation. I really liked in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, um, Paul says, Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be, so shall ye be also of the consolation. And I thought, like, if I look at a period of time when I was suffering and where I received my comfort, hope is that first step because it wasn't as though, you know, I've always had a testimony of the Savior. I Some may say, like, I think that may be put in the category of spiritual gifts. I don't know. I've always had a believing heart. But having that experience of being in that deep pain, the first step for me was having a hope that the Savior had the ability to meet me in my pain and take me through it. And that I can testify that that verse is true, um, that as sure as we are partakers of suffering, and at some point, and for some in many points of our life, or maybe ongoing, as sure as we partake of that, we will partake of the consolation of the Savior. And I would say, for those who are seeking it, for for those that that's what they want. And I felt the need to testify that that is true, that I have experienced that. That's not just an intellectual understanding on my part, but that as I got brought to the point where there was nothing else to turn to but the Savior, that my hope was well-founded. He did not let me down. He did not let me fall. Even when I couldn't hold on anymore, he grabbed a hold of me so that I wouldn't fall and carried me through that. And I have felt, you know, over a period of time, I felt the strength and the peace that was able to come, starting with small things but growing to a full comfort, healing, restitution, all of these things that... I could have floundered for a long time seeking those, seeking that comfort from any number of sources, but it wasn't until the Savior was my complete focus that I felt relief. As you're talking, I'm thinking about how, as a parent, that scripture resonates so much with me. Because I have found everything you just said, um, that as I think back, you're right, as I been letting my testimony of the Savior grow, I felt those things. But now I'm in a position where I see my children doing that. And knowing that my suffering and my trials have brought me closer to the Savior makes it, um, gives me that hope when I see my children with their trials. Because um, Paul he says, our hope for you is firm, knowing that you share in our our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So he's seeing these people and seeing that hurt, but he knows, oh yeah, if you come through this, being closer to Christ, we'll all be, we'll all be able to um, comfort one another and know, because we've been there. 
And as I look at my children um, struggling through what they're going through, as a mom, sometimes that can be scary to say... Stressful at the least. Yeah. Oh, sure. You know, this is going to work for your good. But it is. It's a principle that we've seen over and over again that, again... Life is not about just reaping the benefits of your choices. It is about going through trials so that you can become more dependent on the Savior. That we are supposed to become like little children because they are so dependent on the Savior and they are meek and they are willing to be dependent on the Savior. I heard somebody today say, um, or some this week say, they don't really like the, the title in the church we use called self-reliant. They're like, what, what is that even? Why aren't, why aren't we at least calling it God-reliant? I mean, it's kind of true. I'm grateful that we have such knowledge of choice and accountability and being able to be responsible for our choices and our, and be accountable to them. But ultimately, we're going to have trials whether or not we make awesome choices all the time and whether or not we're perfectly accountable for our behavior, we are still going to go through trials. And it is not about being self-reliant. It's about being God-reliant. Amen. And so for our children... This gives me hope. And, right, because we need hope in those moments as our children. So I'm at the point my oldest is turning 18 in a month. And so he's adultish. And as I'm watching, and I have another teenager who is on the verge of becoming adultish. And so that's a new journey for me as a mom. And it is different to look at my children and say, okay, you're no longer a toddler or a young child where I'm helping rescue you from danger and from struggle. Like I'm going to help teach you how to manage that, that now it's time for them to see how they want to choose to handle their struggles. And it's a bit like, it's a bit of a nail biter as a mom to be like, okay, I have to trust that this principle that I know, I don't know why for some reason when it's our children, it pulls at a different part of us and we kind of just want to say, okay, but let me just handle this instead of allowing them to risk faltering when it feels so important. And yet would we not then be potentially depriving them of the very key thing that they need to make it through the rest of their life, which is the beginning anchoring roots of relying on their savior to get through the struggle. And um, I don't know if it stood out to you, but when you said uh, parenting at the end of 1 Corinthians in verse 24, when I was reading through this, I thought, aha, here is this direction to me was directed as could be interpreted as how we as parents and as teachers in the church or whatever um, might take this under consideration. It says, not for that we have dominion over your faith, and again with my synonyms, authority or control over your faith. So not for that we have dominion, authority, control over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. So, yeah, so this is interesting to me because, yeah, as mom, as a mom, I have gone through the process that you described. I've been in pain and I've had to have the hope in Christ and I have worked hard and I've made good choices. And so, you know, children of mine, if you would just listen to my good choices, I will make it much easier on you. That is not the plan. Let So it interestingly, is that not us saying 
child, let me rescue you instead of allowing the savior to be the rescuer. Absolutely. And being a parent of an adult, so I have a 19-year-old and two boys that are in the next couple weeks turning 16 and 11. And so as a parent of an adult, it is very different. You no longer manage anything. (laughs) And so I'm thinking about this other, you know, the other concept we talked about already So our job, even though we um, understand a lot, maybe as parents, when we start parenting an adult, our relationship with them is not about managing them and mentoring them as much as remaining reconciled to God so that we are instruments in their lives when he wants to use us in their lives. Again, these same kind of principles, but on a a deeper level, because I'm still their mom, you know, but this whole sense of, wow, I can't control the outcome at all yes because honestly we we have toddlers it is our job to make sure they do not run in the street and die we are trained to think we've that been keeping way. them alive for a exactly. long time i have mm-hmm. been keeping my children alive that is what my job has been and then at a certain age you go okay now it's time for them to to fall on their own uh, you know, when they were a toddler, if they felt it really hurt and it was your job to keep them from being falling off of, you know, a high swing. At this age, they if they fall, they, they got to fall. So it, it's, yeah, it's a transition, but that scripture gives me hope to remind me that that's, what, that's why they're here. That's why I, I had to nur- nurture them, but, and, and we can be the the examples and the, the loving people in their life, and we can give them a place to come home to. We can give them a place where they go, wow, that is the type of person, that's the type of home I want to have. I think that's the most powerful thing we can have once they become adults. Because um, really, what else can we do at that point? You know? Yes, and, and to live by the Spirit. I remember once I was praying very fervently in distress over the suffering of one of my children. What can we do? How can I help? All of those things. And the very strong impression that I received, and again, age appropriate, the very strong impression that I received was, in this case, you need to trust. Because, so interestingly, one of my prayers was, I don't even know what I'm praying for here. Like, I don't even know what outcome is the one that's supposed to happen here. But I know that there's struggle. And as a mom, my heart is attuned to that and I feel the struggle and I want to lend support I want there to be light there I want the savior to be part of this and the impression that I got was you don't even need to know what I need to do you just need to extend your faith and trust that I have got this I've got this and the impression that I also got was that then my role then becomes exactly as you said keep myself reconciled to God and keep myself in a place where I can at a moment's notice at any point in the day feel direction if he needs for me to step in in that moment to act well and I do think that as parents we do have a special role in our children's life it's not like okay they're adults now and let's just treat them like the person in the meeting at church and be instruments for God, we can still receive revelation for him. But I think what happens more is um, something, the thing that I'm trying to work on as a parent, uh, he addresses, Paul addresses in Corinthians chapter three. um, And he talks about 
the law of Moses and how the spirit of the law is better now. So this was kind of a blurb in the middle that I thought, oh yeah, I love this principle. He said, um, we have confidence in God through Christ, not based on what was written, but on the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I mean, the letter of the law is great. We love that foundation. It gets us to where we need to be, but it is the spirit and fostering the spirit in our lives that will um, give us real glory in this life. And you know what? I just feel like I should share with you something that I love. I, I have found that if we can be reconciled to God, then we're more in tune to the spirit, right? And that, and that is the ultimate goal. And I've just really heard over and over again from so many leaders of the church, but specifically I heard um, from... Uh, Elder Ballard was was quoting Sister Beck. And so, well, shoot, now I can't find it. But basically, they all were saying, the leaders were all supporting each other and stating that the most, one of the most important gifts that we can ever strengthen in this life is to listening to the Spirit and to foster, fostering that in your life and being attuned to that. That is going to be more powerful than, you know, any other gift you can get out of this life is to become more in tune to the spirit and what the spirit wants you to do in that moment and acting on that, acting on that prompting from the spirit. So as a parent specifically, I think that being, um, being able to let the grace of God save us and being reconciled to God so that he, we can be led by the spirit, especially for our children. We will be, um, able to do what our children needs need us to do and I feel like all of these things like I don't know that I would have pulled this out at the beginning but it feels now like the core mm, strength that we're learning this week is the power in reconciliation with the Lord that that is really the underpinning of all the things all the things that we need to do and that matter to us Um, whether it be parenting or our own journey with the Lord or finding peace amidst struggle or being able to release the hold that other people's actions have upon us, that it all comes back to that reconciliation. And again, with my nerdy synonyms, but when I looked up reconciliation, I saw harmony, peace, to align, to reunite. And... um, a thought that I had is that God's plan has always been for each of us to have a path back to him, like always, always and forever. And I think, you know, he, he desires that that's what he wants. And he has provided a path, each of us in our own individual places with our individual, wherever we've been placed in this life, we have a customized path back to him. He already knows how it will work if that's also what we desire. And once we align our desires with him, then the savior partners with us and lights the way and provides through his grace, through the atonement, the enabling ability to walk that path and that that path is ours and ours alone. It is customized. And to look sideways at the way someone else is walking their path is completely ridiculous because their path isn't our path. And I think once we can like embrace that and recognize that, then we are free to just walk our path back to the savior. Oh, I love that. So yeah, I can only just reinforce that with 
the quote that I found from Sister Beck that says, the ability to qualify for, receive, and act on personal revelation is the single most important skill that can be acquired in this life. Um, and, and I'm reminded as you were talking, the ability to qualify for, I think that has to do with our hearts being reconciled to God. Mm. So when we talk about you know, forgiveness being important, not just because it, it allows us to provide comfort for others and give them that, that relief, but to make sure that our hearts are not filled with anger and resentment, but that they are reconciled to God, it's what qualifies us for that the grace that comes. In fact, um, I looked at a bunch of scriptures that have reconciliation, and it says they, they are actually the precursor statement to um, that it's through grace that we're saved. When we're reconciled to God, then it's through grace that we are saved. So if you haven't noticed that before, because I hadn't noticed that before, we talk about through grace we're saved, and we talk about as members of the church, we have so many works that we can do to qualify us. We can work hard. We can work at our callings. We can work harder to, to read our scriptures more, to serve more, to do our callings more, and it'll qualify us for grace, which we know it, that's not how it works at all. And yet I think as you re- read that quote initially, and to qualify Say, say the so it says the ability to qualify for, receive, and act on personal revelation is the single most important skill that we can be acquired in this life. And I and and I love the additional depth that you brought to that because I think initially many of us would think qualify for. Okay, well, are those like temple recommend question or you know like like okay, I'm like quote unquote worthy to have this revelation, but it is so much more than that. It is the softness of our hearts and where we're at there. Right. And so I really enjoyed discussing this today because the title of the lesson is to be reconciled to Christ or reconciled to God. And, and I really do think that's an important um, principle with forgiveness, but I feel like that's how we qualify for the spirit in our life. And to just make sure that there's nothing keeping us from letting that spirit resonate with us and having the gift of the Holy Ghost throughout the day to guide us and lead us. And so I really enjoyed discussing this. So thank thank you for um, <laughs> talking to me this week. And I was thinking we should end on things like, I've really appreciated prophesying of Christ, teaching of Christ, and rejoicing in Christ with you today, Michelle. So thanks. Laura, I love that I get to have these nerdy conversations with you. (laughs) Have a great week.